Well, let's turn in your Bible with me to the book of Psalms 75. God wants to promote us. In 2010, he wants to promote you. There are so many ways and so many avenues of that. Psalm 75, verse 6 says, For promotion cometh neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south, but God is the judge. He putteth down one and setteth up another. So one way God promotes us, he judges us. He looks in there and says, what man doesn't know about, I know about, and I'm going to raise you up even though you didn't promote yourself. I'm going to raise you up and put you where I need you to be. And then other people that have self-promoted themselves and exalted themselves and pranced around and said, I'm the one, the Lord has a way of suddenly gliding them out of the way and putting them in their place. But there's other ways of promotion. One way that we find in the Word is through faithfulness. The Bible says that the faithful man will what? Abound with blessings. So you can get promoted just by being faithful. And a lot of people have held their place not by skill, not by talent, not by any kind of great gifting, but simply by just staying steady. And the Word says in Galatians that you'll reap if you faint not. Just stand with your hand to the plow, you can get promotion. Other ways of promotion is like humble yourself. The Word talks about if you'll be the servant of all, that he'll make you the master of all. So you can serve, and God will promote you that way. Another way is through diligence, which is different than faithfulness. You have a sense of excellence about you. In that sense, then demands good things to come to you, and promotion will come that way. An agreement is another one. The Word talks about in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy about one can put a thousand to flight and that two can put 10,000 to flight. And that is a tremendous way of promotion where you get off of the world's sense of multiplication and get on God's exponential sense where one plus one equals ten. And you get over into multiplication versus addition. Instead of using your life one-on-one, you go with someone else, get in agreement with them, and the two of you can move mountains and situations and set things up in the kingdom. That's promotion from the Lord. And it's really important that we do that. And it's really important as a church that we stay tight. Another way, though, we looked at in 2009 is called the Keystone Principle. And that Keystone Principle is called strategic thinking, where we think like God thinks, that we think according to wisdom, that we think not according to reasoning and natural wisdom, but we think like God thinks. It's called being at the right place at the right time. And you got to have God's thinking on that, and it's called the keystone principle. Turn with me to Numbers 13. Look over there. This is the children of Israel about to go into the land of promise. Verse 1. The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Send thou men that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel. Of every tribe of their fathers shall ye send a man, look at this, every one a ruler among them. And Moses, by the commandment of the Lord, sent them from the wilderness of Paran. All those men were heads of the children of Israel. And so we see here that Moses picked out men that had come to a place of promotion. They were leaders in their tribe. Then in verse 26, the story advances. They've come back from mapping out the land, finding out where everything was, how many were here and there. That's all that was. And they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel under the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh and brought back word unto them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Now verse 27. 
And they told him and said, We came into the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. Verse 31, But the men that went up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land which eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the son of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. So we see six verses there of a bad report. Only in verse 30 do you see one verse of the good report. Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. So six verses of bad report and one verse of good report. Now, did they have a right to bring the bad report? What was their assignment? What had God told them? Did they do what God had told them through Moses? Now, you would say here they had to tell what they saw. But when you're assigned to do something, you've got to do that and that only. And they were not assigned to bring a report. They were assigned to go out and spy the land and find out who and where and how many were in the land. But the judgment, the assessment of whether they could take the land was not in their job description. It was not what they were assigned to do. That was not the plan of God on that. As a matter of fact, if you look in Exodus chapter 23, amazing amazing what God had already told them about this land. God has an opinion about your future. God has a plan about your future. And what you're seeing today before you enter into that phase of the future is not your call. (laughs) Jesus said, in the world, you'll have tribulation. He never did say, now, when I call you to do something, it's going to be a patty cake. Just walk in, and it'll just be straight and smooth sailing. He never said that. He said, in the world, you're going to have opposition, persecution, tribulation, pressure, trouble of every kind. It's in the world. In other places, he said, but you're not of the world, even though that you're in the world. Greater is he that is in you. Hallelujah. Over and over, Paul said, I can master anything and everything through the master who lives in me. So it never was a rationale of assessing whether we can physically and naturally and reasonably take over the thing God's given us. The thing was, is here's what God has assigned us. Our job is to hear it, to believe it, and to do it. Did I tell that right? To hear it, to believe it, and go do it. And that's what it'll be for this next year. You are to hear it. You are to believe it, whatever it takes, so that you can do it. We see in the book of Joshua chapter 1, it talks about you'll meditate and study in this law day and night so that you will be able to go do it. How long should we meditate? Until you believe it enough to say we will go do it. (laughs) Amen. In Exodus chapter 23... 
It says in verse 27, look what the Lord said about this Numbers 13 situation way before they got there. In 27, it says, I will send my fear before them and will destroy all the people to whom thou shalt come. And I will make all thine enemies turn their backs unto thee. And I will send hornets before thee, which will drive out the Hivite, the Canaanite, and the Hittite before thee. Now, didn't we just read about those people that they said we saw those folks? And then verse 29, I will not drive them out from before thee in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beast of the field multiply against thee. By little and little, I will drive them out before thee until thou be increased and inherit the land. This is a tremendous principle concerning the keystone and the strategy that God has put in your life to be successful in this next year. You have to do it God's way. The mind is not equipped to win. The mind is trained by the senses. It is completely and totally absorbed by your experience, by your memory, by the influences of others, about what it learns, about those things that come through the sense gate. Only the renewing of the mind by the Word of God will cause your mind to shift its allegiance from defeat, failure, and conformity to winning and success and victory in Christ Jesus. You have to have God's Word change your mind. You have never had a mind in the natural sense that is predisposed towards God. Your mind has to be redeemed by renewing. It does not get redeemed at the new birth. You have to renew it. You have to hear God's Word and hear it until you believe it and believe it until you can go do it. All of us are there. All of us, your year will not be different than that this next year. Oh, pastor, he, I wish he'd prophesied we were going to have an easy year. If you'll believe the word, you'll have an easy year. But I'm telling you, there are Canaanites out there. <laughs> there are Hittites out there, and they are giants. And they'll take you out until you find out what God's going to do. And see here, he said, I'm going to take them out. I'm going to deal with them. I'm going to roll them up before you get there. But you will have to walk in there where they are. Amen. So there is that one-on-one combat. Jesus talks about wisdom. He said, what man is there that have 20,000 that comes up against him that has 30,000 does not send an emissary out and try to get conditions of peace, because he's talking about the war of attrition. If you've got 30,000 that have bows and spears, and you have 20,000 have bows and spears, and they're all just men, when it's all over, somebody's going to have 10,000 left over, and you can just count up who's going to win. He said, you need to make a deal, or you're going to go down, or you're going to lose most of your people. So God is telling us here, he says, listen, I know who's in there, And I know who you are, and I know you've got the mindset of Egypt on you, but I have a plan. God had a plan, and he told them about the plan in Exodus 23. He said, here's what I'm going to do. They're going to be in there. They're going to look like this. They're going to act like this, but I have a plan, and here's how I'll do it. So when Moses goes in there and he said, you know, God told us they're in there, but he didn't tell us they're 20 miles over here and 40 miles over here. We need to know where they are and how many there are. That's all they were supposed to do. 
Y'all, sometimes you know too much. I've seen too many people that when they got a symptom or they got a situation, they go on the internet and they find out everything there is to know about it and they find out more than their faith can handle. I had a situation years and years ago where something came into my body and I looked it up. Everything I had was cancer. And it was a cancer that if you don't get on it in 90 days, they said, you'll trip over the line and you cannot treat it. And I'm telling you, I sweated (laughs) pretty hard for three or four weeks. Just what to do, what to do, what to do. And so I had to get my faith around the Word of God. I had to get my faith around what He had called me to do. He didn't say, Michael, I've raised you up, but you're going to be shot down by cancer at a tender age, so don't get your hopes up. He told me what my life was going to be. He's told you what your life is going to be. And God has a plan for you this year. He's talking to you today. He's got a plan. But there are going to be oppositions, troubles, tribulations, challenges. There's going to be all manner of stuff. But he's telling us, if you'll stay with the program, if you'll not flinch or flitter, you will not have any trouble going in. And did you know that 40 years later, after the guys that went in that didn't have the bad report, they walked in and took the land of promise. And that's what we're supposed to do. Amen. The Lord wants this keystone principle, wants it to operate in your life. Many times we approach a new year, uh, secularly they approach it by saying, What are your resolutions? And people whip out a piece of paper and they look at all the needs in their life. And you know, some people are pretty needy. (laughs) You know, it's not just on the front of the paper. They actually turn it over and there's more. And these are my resolutions for the new year. And they have set themselves up to fail. It is impossible that they will not have at least almost all of it not come to pass. But the main thing is, is they'll flitter around with it all giving equal weight, and they'll try to hit something, and when it falls apart, they'll just move on to the next, and they'll spend their whole year hitting at 40 items and not winning at any of them. But here the Lord's telling us in the keystone principle that we're to hit one item and have success, and when we knock it out, it pushes everything back so that everything then is easier to win against. It's a principle where in the old day, an army would line up here and another army would line up there. You've seen it especially in the Revolutionary War where they had the muskets and they would have people that were lined up behind each other and the front line would shoot their muskets and as they're reloading, they would kneel down and the second ones behind them who had their guns loaded, and they would shoot them. And the other army would either be stationary or would be advancing toward them. And so it was just a matter of loading and shooting, loading and shooting and whoever at the end was standing won the battle. The one that would win beyond one-on-one would be the general that had a plan, some sort of strategy that gave them an advantage over one-on-one shooting and killing. And so that plan was called the Keystone Principle, and it's called a decisive point of conflict. It's where you have a plan that pushes at one point on the line and moves the whole line back. Now, the devil has pressure on every area of your life, but there is a strategic point of conflict where you can push back at a strategic place and it moves him back against the whole line. Everything advances back because you pushed on one area. And we looked last week at the man with the weak ankles, that he 
had a good life except he had been born with a deformity in his feet. And when Peter and John lifted him up, the Bible says that strength came into his ankles and that he had a normal life after that. But yet he was completely decimated financially, maritally. Everything of his life was affected, but actually he just had one problem. So you may look at your long list of resolutions and say, I got a lot of stuff here. But actually, you have one decisive point of conflict that if you would deal with that, it would push everything back at once, and you would have a simultaneous victory in many areas, even though you just concentrated on one. It's kind of like that old war thing about divide and conquer, where you don't face the whole army at once, you knock them off. Have you all ever seen Clint Eastwood? Just shoot them off one here and one there and one there. He had all 10 of them dead and in the street. Well, sometimes he'd just shoot them all down in the street. Y'all need to watch a little more Clint Eastwood, I say. Hallelujah. That's how they did it. They would push on one area and they would weaken the army until they could take the whole army out. Now, when the army would come against them, if it would fail at any one particular point, it would weaken the army at that point, And as they would pull in to strengthen that, it would weaken the whole line. And then you could push the whole army back. A lot of times what they would do in strategies, rather than go one-on-one, they would, like in Japan in World War II, we would bomb their cities and it would so discourage them that they would put pressure on the military leaders to surrender. But it wasn't one-on-one, which is what was going on in the Pacific Theater. It was one-on-one until we bombed behind the lines in their cities, got the civilians involved, they put pressure on, and the effort fell in. There's other things where you take some high ground, and you begin to have an advantage from the high ground, or that you take a bridge, or that you take a river, or you take a communication center, or you cut off a supply line. And the supply line, they did that a lot of times in World War II with the Russians. They wouldn't actually go out and confront the enemy. They would just sneak in there and cut off their supplies, and the people would begin to starve, and they would begin to desert, and they could win that way. It was a decisive point of conflict. Well, family, the devil's got you surrounded. He's got every area of your life, he's got pressure on your finances, on your marriage, on your children, on your job, on your health. And when you get up every day, it's a matter of really, which one are we going to attack? Which one are we going to defend? And literally, if you get a decisive point of conflict and just concentrate on one, when you got that one, you could take the devil out in all of them. And that's what the Lord wants us to do in 2010. He wants you to become a master in one area at a time instead of being a jack-of-all-trades in all and master of none. That's exactly what it is. Let me give you one more scripture here before we go. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. The arch is the strongest structure. The way that stones or any kind of thing that conceives the arch, when they are arranged in that way and a keystone is put at the top, It becomes the strongest structure in engineering. What we've done to the devil and what the devil has done to us is he's devised a keystone and then many other stones against your life. If you take out the keystone, which is the one at the top, the arch will fail and everything will come down. The devil's strategy always has a keystone in it. And if you find by wisdom what it is that the devil's really after in your life and make a stand there, the other stuff is peripheral. 
In other words, you may think that he's after your finances, but what he's really after is to get everybody griping and complaining about money, make the whole family get disconcerted with God's faithfulness, make you as the provider or the parent in the family lose confidence, and the whole thing begins to melt down. Your health from the stress begins to fail, your job from the stress that's in your life begins to diminish, and all of a sudden your whole life begins to collapse when actually it was just a few dollars a week that would have made you strong. Are you here? Maybe one area in your health begins to be affected and it affects every area of your life. And so instead of working on every area of your life, if you'd went back to the keystone of health and got yourself healed right there, then everything else would have been strong. And that's what God wants you to do is to recognize and realize what is the devil's keystone against you and stand there until you get the victory. And then you'll find out the whole arch will stand and you'll prevail in your walk with the Lord. Here it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, it says, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. It's that high thing. There's a high thing. There's things, there's lots of things, but there's a high thing that's exalting itself against the knowledge of God. And so you have got to find the high thing. What is the point of conflict? the area where the devil is really after your life that everything else is affected by, find that, deal with that, and when you win at that, then everything else works. So what is it? For some people, it's their marriage. It just doesn't matter how good a job you have and what darling kids you're raising, what kind of great uh, business you've got in your head. If your marriage isn't working, everything is affected. It's affected. It could be like your health, where it doesn't matter what else is going on. Until you get that thing in your health fixed, it's nothing else that's going to work. So you've got to stop and just say, I'm going to stop my life, and I'm going to get healed in this area. Paul said, this one thing I do, this one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind and pressing on, he said, this one thing I do. So he was talking about a keystone. Something that was so key that it gave strength to every other area of his life. So think about. Yeah, it's a fog out there. It's a cloud out there. It's hard to tell. There's so much going on in your life. So many negative things that the devil's pressing. But what is the keystone that he's working against you? That if that was fixed, if that was eliminated, if that was rectified, if that was dealt with, if that was neutralized that really everything else would line up. Jesus told the rich young ruler, he said, one thing thou lackest. This man had everything going, but he walked away sad. Can you imagine having everything going, a multi-businessman with influence? He was rich, he was young, and he was a ruler. And yet Jesus said, nothing's going to work until you get this one thing fixed. And family, I'm just going to say that in 2010, until you get the one thing fixed, the keystone, you're going to have a repeat of 2009. We have to change strategies. We got to put on God's wisdom. We got to pray till we get revelation. You're going to have to stop your life. Yes, I know you can't stop your life, but I'm telling you, you got to stop your life. Every mechanic will tell you that if you don't take enough time to check your oil and you run out of oil, you will stop and take time to put a new engine in. You just got to stop. Every once in a while, you got to stop and get out of your clothes and wash them. (laughs) There's things that we don't have time for, but if you don't take time, it'll take your time and take your everything. 
And so this is key. I believe I've stumbled into something by revelation that's going to help us all, that in 2010, if we'll just stop our lives and say, now, Lord, I've got to identify the keystone. And over and over, the word tells us that if we'll ask him, he'll tell us. So we got to know what to ask him. you got to ask him the right question so that when the answer comes, you'll know what it fits. Keystone for my life. The keystone for my life. Don't tell me you don't have a need for a keystone. Every one of us in here are challenged by the call of God on our life to do more, to have more, and be more in this next year. God has invested in us, and he wants more out of us because he has put more in us. So let's lift our hands, hallelujah, and just get ourselves prepared. Right now, you make a decision under this anointing, under this canopy of faith, and out of your own mouth, begin to say, Lord, I'm asking you right now for wisdom for the keystone in my life. What is it, Lord, I'm expecting to hear? If not now, I'm going to make a place, and I'm going to find out what is the keystone? What is the area that the devil has captured my life, has stalled me out, has neutralized me? What is it, Lord? And when you tell me, I'm going to take care of it in Jesus' name. Lord, we lift up our lives to you. And we thank you, Lord. We're bought with a price. We're not our own. Therefore, we desire to give glory to you in our bodies and in our lives. Thank you right now for wisdom. Thank you, Lord, for revelation. Lord, that's beyond reason, beyond the pattern of routine that we've experienced. Lord, beyond the natural knowledge that our senses are giving us. Lord, thank you right now for revelation to see and to know. I ask you for it right now in Jesus' name. It's not the obvious, but Lord God, you'll tell me and we'll do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And amen. Now, how many of y'all got it? submitted yourself to say, I'm going to find it, and I'm not going to be November coming up with it. We need to determine that when we come up here to get hands laid on, that we're not coming up here anymore just to say, I hope something happens, but that we even hold back a little bit and say, no, I'm going to make myself sure in the Word of God. I'm going to pray some things out, and then I'm going to put the keystone in it that when I come up there, then it's going to happen then having a confidence, that when we come to the offering, we don't just say, well, I've been given for years. Here it is again, that we come in there and say, Lord, I have been meditating on this tithe for an hour or two. I've been meditating on this offering for a season. And when I put that thing in the bucket, my life is going to shift. We need to pray for one another. We need to pray for our spouses. Y'all busy is busy. But when your marriage fails, when your marriage is not helping you, but it's causing you to be depleted and to be exhausted, you're out of order. We got to stop and pray for our mates and say, I got to spend some time for her. I got to spend some time on him. Because if he goes down, there is no way I'll be untouched. Your money, we all have to figure out. I need money. I know God wants me to have money. First of all, you got to know that your job isn't the only way it can come. God's got a thousand ways to get you money, but that you're willing to go to work, but it does not become the Lord of your life. And so you got to work some stuff out about your money. Lord, I'm a seed sower. I want to be a paymaster. Well, then it puts it on him. Amen.